Well, maybe you've said it or you've seen it in the movies. A wife watches her five-year-old son tip his plate of spaghetti on top of his head. She turns to her husband and says, he gets that from you. Uh, Catherine and I often say to this to each other in our family as a joke uh, when one of our kids does something silly. Now, things like pouring food on yourself, um, of course, that's not a family thing, at least for my kids' sake, I hope not. Um, But you can tell things about people, can't you? Uh, You can tell things about people from the family they come from. Uh, recently, my brother was up visiting, and some people said to me that as they were listening to Dave speak, they could hear me saying the same things. There was a family resemblance in the way we spoke. Now, as Christians, we have a family resemblance. Uh, we've been made by God into the children of God, and so we are like our Heavenly Father. Now, the Bible sometimes describes this as righteousness. Uh, in this sense, Our righteousness is the life that we live as we relate rightly to God. God saves people like us to be his own, and so we now live for him, and we become more and more like him. We live righteously. Now, the Bible can also talk of righteousness in a different way. Righteousness can be used to talk about being declared not guilty before God. This type of righteousness is more of a declaration than of a lifestyle. Now, why am I saying all this? Well, because as we continue our way through the book of Genesis this morning, one of the things God teaches us about is righteousness. And we need to be clear which type of righteousness is on view. And the righteousness that we'll be thinking about this morning is the lifestyle of righteousness. It's the righteousness of living out your trust in the grace of God, living out your trust in the authority of God over you. It's the righteousness that as people look at your life, they'll see similarities between you and God. Now, last week we looked at uh, God making promises to Abraham, uh, promises that God made to replace curse with blessing. Well, in the next section of Genesis, the attention moves away from Abraham and on to God's dealings with other people, to peoples like Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, Abimelech, Hagar and Ishmael. And we haven't got time to look at them all, so we're just going to be sticking with Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. And even though God's focus in these chapters uh, is what he does with those not of Abraham, Abraham himself is still in the thick of it because God deals with these peoples through Abraham. Abraham's the link between God and these people, and it's a link that means either blessing or curse, which holds some comforting or terrifying truths for us this morning. For it's not mere Abraham, but none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself that is our link to God. And again, it's a link that means either blessing or curse. And the blessings that Christ brings, well, they're far greater than anything that that Abraham brought. And the curses are far worse, which is saying something. Because the first group of people that we see God deal with through Abraham is the infamous Sodom and Gomorrah, where God's curse comes down in bucket loads. We're up to point two on your outline. It all begins in chapter 18. Chapter 18 and God's plan to judge and destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But before God lets loose on Sodom and Gomorrah, he lets Abraham in on his plans to destroy these cities. And then, surprisingly, God lets Abraham critique him and question him. 
And so Abraham questions God. And he asks that if there's some righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, then God can't destroy everyone, can he? The Lord can't sweep away the righteous along with the wicked. If there's any righteous people in there, well, then God left to spare the lot, won't he? Have a look at chapter 18 and verse 23. Verse 23, chapter 18. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous and the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? See, Abraham's saying you can't treat the righteous and the wicked the same. And so if there's any righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, well, then God can't destroy the place. And as we read on, God agrees with Abraham. Verse 26, the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Well, Abraham presses again, and he asks God if he'll spare the place for 45 people. And God says yes. And Abraham keeps asking, what about for 40? For 30? For 20? How about 10? Each time God says, if there's righteous people in there, I'll spare the place. And so by the end of chapter 18, we're expecting one of two things. Either God finds Sodom and Gomorrah completely wicked, down to the last person, and destroys everyone, or God finds some righteous people and so spares the lot. Either everyone's destroyed or everyone's spared. They're the two options. So let's have a look. God sends some messengers to Sodom to check it out, to see if it's as evil as it sounds. And at the gateway of the city, these messengers meet Lot, Abraham's nephew. Now we're told in chapter 13 that Abraham had settled in Sodom, uh, Lot had settled in Sodom. And as soon as Lot sees God's messengers, he insists that they stay at his house. The messengers don't want to, but Lot insists so strongly that they agree to stay in his house. And the reason that Lot is so insistent is because he wants to protect the visitors. Because in the very next verses, we find the men of Sodom beating down on Lot's door because they want to do some obscene things with his guests. Have a look at chapter 19 and verse 3. Chapter 19 and verse 3. But he, that's Lot, he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. It's an awful scene, isn't it? And it continues. Uh, Lot steps in and tries to protect the messengers. But this time what Lot does, it's not honourable, in fact it's horrible. Lot goes outside and offers his daughters to the men instead of his guests. Now it's a foolish way to do it, but what he's trying to do is to protect the messengers. But what we find is that God's messengers don't need protection. They miraculously strike the men of Sodom with blindness and so they leave. But what God's messengers have seen is enough. The wickedness of Sodom is as bad as was thought and they declare that Sodom is to be destroyed. Now going from what we read earlier with Abraham, if Sodom's going to be destroyed, well then that means that all of Sodom is wicked. 
Remember, if there's some righteous, the place will be saved. But if there's none, well, God's judgment will surely fall. Strangely, though, when the Lord's messengers talk of judgment, there's also the hope of rescue. Have a look at verse 12, chapter 19, verse 12. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. See, destruction is coming, but not for everyone. For Lot and those with him, salvation is offered. So it's different to what we expected. It's not going to be either everyone destroyed or everyone saved. It's that the righteous will be spared and the wicked will be destroyed. Now, why is it going to be like this? Well, what we discover is that it's because of God's mercy that righteous Lot is to be rescued. When dawn breaks, it's time for judgment. And so God's messengers work to get Lot and his family out of there. Have a look at verse 15. Verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. They were led safely out of the city because the Lord was merciful to them. They, they even had to grab their hands and drag them out of the city. God was merciful to them. And Lot recognises God's favour and God's kindness and then he asked for more. Have a look, verse 17. As soon as they'd brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favour in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well. I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. Lot asks for more mercy and more kindness, and it's given to him. And so by God's goodness, Lot is spared from God's terrifying judgment. Verse 23. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities... And the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. Not a building, not a plant, not a person was left in that place. Can you imagine what it would have been like if you had been in Sodom on that dark day? Dirty, great big black clouds swirling overhead, forming over your city. And as the swirling masses of clouds seem to descend, the first few drops of rain fall. And to your horror, the rain burns and dissolves everything it falls on. There's tiny little spot fires forming all over your lawn. And so you run inside. You, your children, your friends, your parents. When you get inside, you notice that your clothes have holes in them, burnt through from the rain. 
more than a sprinkle now. The rain is a torrential downpour. And you look out the window to the, the massive stone idol that's in your town square only to see it dissolve in a molten mess. The ground has become a river of flame. Your house begins to feel hot. Your roof is glowing red. Holes appear as the rain disintegrates it. The rain is now pouring into your house. It is destroying everything and you want to run. But there's nowhere to go. Not for you, your children, your friends or your parents. That day, for Sodom and Gomorrah, total annihilation. Not a building. Not a plant, not a person was left in that place. Complete destruction. God's judgment on sin, it is severe. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But Lot was spared, saved from disaster. And why? Why was he rescued? Well, it's probably not the answer we're expecting, but we're told that God rescued Lot because God remembered Abraham. Right at the beginning, remember, Abraham spoke in the defense of the righteous, one man speaking on behalf of others. And when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, God remembered Abraham. Have a look at verse 29. Verse 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. See, Lot was rescued because God remembered Abraham. Abraham's point before all this took place was that God couldn't destroy the righteous along with the wicked, and God agreed. And so before God destroyed the wicked, in mercy and kindness, he rescued the righteous. That's what we're seeing here in Genesis 18 and 19. Before God destroys the wicked... In mercy, he rescues the righteous, which is very comforting. Because there's another day of judgment coming, another day where God will come again in awesome judgment. But if you're here this morning and you're one of the righteous, well, before God destroys the wicked, he'll rescue the righteous. Turn across with me, please, to 2 Peter and chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, it's right towards the end of the Bible. In 2 Peter chapter 2, the apostle says that the godless will be destroyed. God's judgment is coming, but but God knows how to spare the righteous from this coming judgment. And Peter uses Lot as an example. So 2 Peter chapter 2, and we'll pick it up in verse 6. Chapter 2 and verse 6. Speaking about God... Peter writes, If he, that's God, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lies of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. It's clear, isn't it? 
God knows how to judge and condemn the ungodly and God knows how to rescue the righteous. We saw both in Sodom and we'll see both again when Christ returns. And so there's two really obvious applications as we think about this. And the first is, if you're one of the ungodly, then you need to ask God for forgiveness and to repent. Because when Christ comes again, armed with the judgment of God, you'll want to run, but there'll be nowhere to go. Not for you and not for anyone who's refused to repent. The book of 2 Peter describes Christ's coming judgment as destruction, condemnation, hell, judgment, punishing, perishing, blackest darkness. What God did to Sodom and Gomorrah was tame in comparison. But God's holding it back. Christ hasn't come back yet because he doesn't want people to perish under his judgment. Flick across to chapter 3 and verse 9 of 2 Peter. Chapter 3 and verse 9. Here, Peter explains why Christ has not yet returned in judgment. And it's because God is patient. He wants to give people the chance to repent and be saved. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So if you're here this morning... And you know you have no concern for the things of God. You're someone who gladly lives life for yourself. You do things your own way. You do your best to achieve your dreams or your dreams for your children. If you're someone that does not trust God to tell you how to live, someone who doesn't think that they need God's forgiveness, if you're one of the ungodly, you need to ask for forgiveness and to repent. You need to admit that the way you've lived your life is wrong. You need to admit that God does have the right to be in charge of your life and you need to ask God to forgive you. Christ died on a cross to forgive people. So all you need to do is ask and then live completely and unashamedly for God because God knows how to judge the ungodly and he knows how to rescue the righteous. So ask for forgiveness and repent. Which brings us to the second application, and that is, if you are one of the righteous, and I take that as most of us here this morning, God knows how to rescue the righteous. So keep living righteously. Because when Christ comes armed with the judgment of God, he knows how to rescue the righteous. And so if you are someone who's been forgiven by God, You're someone who trusts in the death of Christ in your place. You're relying on the cross of Christ to take your sins away. If you're someone who looks to the Lord Jesus to speak in your defense, to speak to the Father on your behalf for the forgiveness of your sins, if you are someone who's been forgiven by God and you now gladly seek to live for him, if you're one of the righteous, if that's you, well then continue to live righteously, won't you? Because God knows how to rescue the righteous. Now, living righteously is hard work, isn't it? It's not easy. But please stick at it. 
We need to remember that God's day of judgment and his destruction of the ungodly is coming. And so we don't want to give up and join in the wickedness. No, we work hard at living righteously. Because through the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. And so as we wait for him, we gladly serve him. Have a look at chapter 3 and verse 13. Chapter 3 and verse 13. Peter here speaks of the hope that we have in Christ and how, it should make, how we should live in the light of it. Chapter 3 and verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. See, God knows how to rescue the righteous. And so we make every effort to be found spotless and blameless. So as we see wickedness run amuck around us, as people cheat and lie, we don't join in. We pursue holiness, godliness and righteousness. We make every effort to be found spotless and blameless. We expect that living this life is going to be hard in this world. The world hates Jesus and so we expect the world to try and drag us away from serving Christ. We see the world try and do this in countless ways every day. Uh, businesses spending their billions in advertising each year to try and make you love money and things. Family members can scoff at our Christianity. They try and make us feel awkward or, or silly because of what we believe. The media parades the supposed stupidity of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But we expect this sort of stuff. We expect to be bombarded with enticements and outright attacks on our trust in Christ. And on top of this, many of the ungodly who despise God seem to enjoy life and success. But as the godless despise God and us, his people, we need to remember God knows how to rescue the righteous. God's condemnation and judgment is coming. Sodom and Gomorrah times a million is in store for those who refuse to repent and ask for forgiveness. But for those of us who enjoy the sure salvation that comes through Christ Jesus our Lord, well, we continue in righteousness. We're living holy and godly lives. We're making every effort, aren't we, to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him until he returns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you know how to rescue your people. Father, the, the thought, the truth of your son coming in judgment, sobering and frightening. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we wait, we would always cling to the cross of Christ, trusting in him for the forgiveness of our sins and gladly living for the Lord Jesus making every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. 
Father, we love being your people. And we pray that in our lives, you would keep us for yourself as you've promised. In Jesus' name. Amen.